Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give me some of that good old all-American country music with those guitars from Spain, fiddles from Italy, mandolins from Germany, steel guitar licks from the Isles of Hawaii, electric bass designed by Leo Fender, made by Tadio Gomez and crew in Fullerton, California. And don't forget the banjo from Africa. In Africa, there are all sorts of gourd-bodied stringed instruments. They're usually fretless, and they uh, play from a... The African versions play from a different musical system, obviously, than the Western Equal Temperament Scale, but in America, the banjos negotiated with conventional Western harmony, added frets, tuned the instrument to mostly an open G. It's sort of standardized towards that tuning, at least for a full-scale banjo. And they became a synthesis of African and European influences in a way that so much of all that's good in American music did. Have you seen that movie, Throw Down Your Heart? Bela Fleck, the great banjo virtuoso, takes a trip to Africa and explores the origins of the instrument, plays with a lot of African musicians. It came out 10 or 12 years ago. It's a it's a great movie. I got a picture of Bela Fleck playing a banjo I built. It's a pretty good story. I could embellish it and make it a great story. Maybe I will later, but anyway, I'll, I'll post the photo at some point. You can see it. The banjo makes its way into popular music in a very complicated and somewhat controversial way. It was such a recognizable feature of the African experience in America that it found its way into the minstrel show and it became associated with all the negative stereotype of the minstrel show and then when it came into country music which early country music was full of its own brand of stereotyping hillbilly stereotyping it just sort of shifted over from the sort of comic darkly bitterly comic position within the minstrel show to a similar position within the within the country music community. Earl Scruggs, who sort of redefined the purpose of the banjo, changed the playing style and made it what it is as the sort of driving force of bluegrass music, was an intensely serious musician. And uh, he tells stories about being expected to tell jokes because the banjo player was supposed to be a comic figure within the music at any rate because of its complicated past uh, african-american musicians largely abandoned the banjo as an instrument there were some exceptions to that um, of course I, I guess in new orleans there were always um, some people who maintained connections to that tradition particularly danny barker who was a really influential figure jazz educator musician a mentor to a lot of uh young jazz musicians who are 
well, who are my age now, but guys like Kermit Ruffins. And uh, he maintained a lot of that tradition. Johnny St. Sire, who was um, Louis Armstrong's banjo player and um, guitarist at times, had a really, really important role in shaping small combo jazz, or also known as jazz, um, with Louis Armstrong. Throughout the Civil Rights era, there were a few a few banjo players, um, black banjo players. Pete Seeger sort of reintroduced the banjo into American and the American consciousness in a way at a, at a time that Earl Scruggs was also doing that in a different segment of American life. And people like Taj Mahal played the banjo. Taj Mahal was very interested in reclaiming all kinds of African instruments and African roots. Today we have some young musicians, young-ish, I mean, younger than me, um, like Rhiannon Giddens and Dom Flemons, for instance, who play the banjo and play it well and represent it well and work to recontextualize that instrument, recover the black tradition of string band instruments that are connected to country music. Rhiannon Giddens and uh, Don Flemings both come out of a band called the Carolina Chocolate Drops. And as I mentioned before, they were important in reclaiming stringed music and I guess what you would call country music for black Americans and to um, sort of reclaim the position within that tradition. In particular, you might want to check out the first Carolina Chocolate Drops record, Donna Got a Ramblin' Mind, or all of their work for that matter, and all of Rand Giddens' solo work after that. Tom Flemons also has a really interesting, uh, and I think important, new, newish CD called Black Cowboys that is definitely worth checking out and see, um, seeing what's going on in that tradition. As these and other recordings remind us, Black Americans have a strong stake in country music that they'd only been sort of pushed out of later on. I think if you ask country music fans right now, they would have Darius Rucker as their sole African-American country musician, and if we went back a generation, you'd have Charlie Pride. Seem to have a one black man at a time rule in country music, but it's always been deeper than that. It's also been hidden and contested, I guess it's fair to say. Though they've been significant, there have been very few highly visible African-American musicians within the traditions of mainstream country music. There have been many, many more behind country music, though, and that's the hidden contribution I'm trying to uncover in this conversation. Arnold Schultz was a, a fiddler and a, a guitarist. He's remembered in the bluegrass tradition because he was connected to um, Bill Monroe's Uncle Penn. Uncle Penn is a fiddler that Bill Monroe um, credits with creating the vocabulary of bluegrass music. And Schultz was his Uncle Penn's traveling companion and accompanist. They often played together for a long time and 
that sort of blues influence that you have in bluegrass music kind of comes from him through Uncle Penn into Bill Monroe's Bluegrass Boys. It's really profoundly important figure who never made it into the modern era, but who definitely um, you can hear the trace of in that music today. Rufus Payne, known as T-Tot, as a figure who is uh, a fairly well-established part of the Hank Williams uh, legacy. He was a street musician who taught young Hank Williams how to play guitar. The genius of Hank Williams, when it comes right down to it, is the influence of the blues. Louis Armstrong is one of my heroes, as everyone knows. Had a saying that there are only two types of music, good and bad. He says, if you can tap your foot to it, it's good music. I think when it comes to American music, there are only two types of music, good and bad. And good is the music that's assimilated some aspect of the blues. Sort of hard to deny it. I mean, I don't know. Some people like, you know, sea shanties and things like that. I don't have anything against that. I Some of it's awesome, but got a little bit of the blues in it. It's great. Got a friend one time. He's asking me, like, how do you guys remember where you are in the changes of a blues? I get lost. I don't know when to change chords all the time. And I said, well, uh, you got to listen to it. You absorb it. You sort of feel it. But you can also just take a reference song in your head, 12-bar blues that you know really well, and then just sort of sing that or hum the melody to yourself, and that'll keep you on track. Just take something like I'm so lonesome I could cry for instance and he said wow I'm so lonesome I can cry is a 12 bar blues that just blew me away well almost every Hank Williams song is a blues that's not exclusively true there are other structures but it's deep in Hank Williams it's difficult to not just think of him as a blues musician rather than a country musician Jim Crow created the segregation between these musical styles. Hank Williams and Rufus Payne were doing the same thing. And uh, they were sometimes doing it in the same space. But when it came to booking an auditorium, it required a segregated audience, a segregated band. When it came to creating companies to sell and distribute this music, they needed to be connected to the venues where it was performed, and they maintained that segregation. In fact, they spread that segregation to the north, uh, where it wasn't necessarily legally enforced, but it became culturally enforced nonetheless, and the creation of different musical genres uh, continued to enforce those separate social spaces. And I feel that continues to be true to a large extent. There's a lot of conversation about this right now. There's a recent Washington Post article about country music trying to reckon with its racial past. I credit in 
uh, a lar- to a large extent, Ken Burns for this. Ken Burns' recent wonderful country music documentary featured Don Flemons and Rhiannon Giddens and other black Americans um, in, in the opening credits. The problem was, and it had a reasonable coverage of Charlie Pride, and Charlie Pride, you know, is great. Check Charlie Pride out. He's a, he's a wonderful singer. Um, and it told the story of DeFord Bailey, and that's an important story. DeFord Bailey was a harmonica virtuoso who was not only the first african-american member of the grand old opry was the first member of the grand old opry he was the first person to perform on the grand old opry and and in a kind of ken burns way they show him starting off and then racial problems coming into country music and then deford bailey being taken out of the grand old opry and then invited back many years later for his final performance and it's kind of beautiful in a kind of closing up the tying up the loose ends way but it what it uh Makes maybe a too tidy a package of a of a problem that's continuing. But again, I think maybe we all watched country music by Ken Ken Burns, and uh, maybe he was very important in people in country music rethinking the relationship between their music and the racial situation they find themselves in in America right now. As a way of illustrating how much this might have changed, I think we remember this example from a few years ago. If not, you can look it up on YouTube and check it out. In 2016, the Dixie Chicks found themselves in the middle of controversy for a second time. The first time was effectively ended their career as a mainstream marketable country music act because Natalie Maines uh, spoke out against the Gulf War and George Bush. Apparently, women speaking their mind is one of the worst country music sins. It's a topic for another podcast, but country music also has some real gender equity issues that it needs to reckon with as well. Um, And we'll take that up again in the future. Natalie Maines is deep in this thing, too. You know, her dad, Lloyd, is a legend. He's a steel guitar player, a multi-instrumentalist, a great producer. He produces many of the kind of alternative and singer-songwriter country acts that I really love. At the Country Music Awards in 2016, they invited Beyonce to perform with them. And it was amazing. It was awesome. The crowd, you should watch this on YouTube. The reaction is really interesting. Some people are really, really think that, oh my, this is the most wonderful thing I've ever seen. And other people are outraged. The outrage continued to grow afterward. Beyonce was very hot at the time. She just released Lemonade, which is an amazing, I guess you call it an album, but it's really just an artistic creation that has its own threads of country music in it, by the way. I guess the sin that Natalie Maines and the Dixie Chicks participated in by making this amazing performance with Beyonce was making explicit something that's implicit in country music, that country music always wants to be on trend musically but doesn't want to be involved culturally.
and apparently Beyonce's involvement or comments on or having an opinion on Black Lives Matter at the time made her a controversial figure. Really, I think what was controversial is that they made explicit the fact that trends in music that black artists are cashing in on are regularly co-opted by country music. And if you put them together and you show that, white musicians don't like the comparison. Little Nas X wants to do some of his country rap, and people are upset about it. It's controversial. A few people came to his aid. Billy Ray Cyrus did. I thought that was cool. You know, you listen to, like, boys around here, rit, 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 redneck. I think it's a cool song. I think it's great. But, man, you ought to acknowledge the extent to which that is just simply borrowing popular aspects of black music and trying to sell it to a white audience. I don't know. It's just about industries keeping people separated from each other and keeping people from recognizing their common situation. Our culture is so largely defined by poor people making something awesome and then having it repackaged by rich people and sold back to them in a different way. They keep us fighting over the bottom. I feel like all we really need to do as a country is quit lying about who we are. Show ourselves as we are and we'll be beautiful. The Dixie Chicks playing with Beyonce is not particularly new. You know, Louis Armstrong recorded with Jimmy Rogers. That kind of exchange and connection has been around forever, but we destroy it. This country is so diverse, so beautiful, so vibrant, so wonderful. And yet we hide those connections that we've already made. I'm not talking about the ones we need to make in the future. I'm talking about the ones we've already made. If we see that we've already tried this experiment and it's been wonderful, we might be less afraid of the outcome and we might come to a lot better conclusion for all of us moving forward. I've been working on this podcast for a while and I don't know why I care. I mean, I don't care about country music as an industry. It's always been a conservative and backward-looking industry. It's always quashed the kind of uh, innovation that you most want to see. It's always discouraged um, interracial components in the music. Roy Clark can play with Gatemouth Brown, and Jerry Reed can play with B.B. King, but it's a very one-off kind of a situation. If you want to do a great collaboration, like one of John Prine's beautiful late collaborations was with Swamp Dog, a guy formerly known as Jerry Williams. He was a conventional R&B singer. He and John Prine both moved away from the genres that were attempting to define them, and they expanded those genres. I would say Swamp Dog incorporating more Memphis music, Muscle Shoals music, country-inflected and influenced music. John Prine incorporating elements of rock and country music rather than staying in folk. 
by defining the genres that were supposed to define them, they defined their careers, and that was great. I guess, you know, being out of touch culturally has prevented some wonderful collaborations in country music, but again, I don't really care about it as an industry, and I can call the music that I like and play Americana if I want to. I guess what's at stake for me in seeing country music trying to get on the right side of history and trying to amend its racial past is that it might indicate that some of the most reluctant people to join that conversation are finally starting to join that conversation. And at the end of the day, that's what really matters to me.